You're listening to Were You Still Talking? All right. Thanks for uh, coming back. This is Joel Albrecht, and in the studio today, I have Callie Cardiff. I said it right this time? Yeah. And she hey. Ha- hey. she's been on the podcast before. She um, is a very active member of the community, and she just got a new job, which I'm going to ask her about. A very different kind of uh, company than she worked at before, so I'm going to ask her about that. And before uh, we came on, we were talking about... What did you ask me? I said, do people call? Do, he said, I hope I get a phone call while we record. And I asked, <laughs> do people still call people? And one, one or two people still call me. It's, uh, I get lots of calls on the home phone. You know, we still have a home phone. We still have a home phone? Yeah, we have a home phone for, I'll just say relatives. Oh. Okay, elderly. And... and <laughs> They don't know it's a cell phone they when they call don't. you. Well, they don't. Yeah, I'm gonna. I need to start programming people to use a cell phone. But uh, it was. Um, I still like the phone call because uh, a text conversation can take a day. You know what I mean? Hey, when are you going to be on the <laughs> podcast? Three hours later. Oh, I could be on sometime. A day later. Great. Um, sorry, I missed your text. Why don't you come on Thursday? I don't understand why people are like that, though. Because I'm not that way. You're not that way. You are. You're, I respond. You're on top of things. And and I will say, when I'm in person, a lot of times when people do that, like we should get together sometime, like routine. Mm-hmm. I like whip out my phone and I go, "Okay, here's my calendar. When you want to do that's, it." See, that's great. <laughs> that's great. And half the yeah. time, they're like, "Oh." Oh, I wasn't serious, I but they don't say it that actually, way, but that's what they mean, right? I see it in their eyes. They don't admit it, <laughs> Oops. but I, I see the face fall just mm-hmm. slightly. Not that hanging out with me is so terrible. I like that. No, hanging out with you is great. I think, why you're, I uh, think it's all right. That's why you're back on a podcast. I know. I'm so excited. It's, I'm it's, a double guest. It's awesome. I uh, Yeah, this is 24th episode, so 10 episodes ago, my first sort of official guest I did have guests before then. We were we were just goofing around trying to figure out what a podcast was. Um, and I had me as a guest, I think, on my third show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd like to do that sometime, interview myself. Interview yourself. Yeah, I was just, it's not great. So, like, <laughs> you don't, if you're just new to the podcast, you don't have to listen to them in order. <laughs> no. Start with four. Start with episode four. And then binge from four on. I think I need to re-listen to it just to see if I'm the same person. Uh, Well, I don't think you are. Because it's been a year. It's been a year for me, Joel. You know, if if you listen to... I can't believe it's been a year. It's It's not been... Oh, you mean it's been a year. It's not been a year since you've been on the body. (laughs) Well, it must have... It's been about six and a half months. Okay. I I couldn't remember because I know I had, when I started. I started in April. I couldn't remember which job I was working when I came last time. Because you had said it's right. very different from it's. I think my you were still job. working at your old job, which like, was a year a week, ago. Yeah, I think I quit in January, so it's been. Oh, then you weren't. It's been a year because it wasn't. Yeah, you weren't there anymore. Okay, you were looking. Yeah, you were figuring, trying to figure out what you were going to do. Um, okay. Yeah. So yeah. where are you working now? I am the communications manager at McKenzie River Trust, which is a 
uh, a land trust organization. And what that means, because most people don't know. No, most people I don't did know. Not. I happen I... to know because <laughs> a, a long time uh, donors, my parents donated to them. I mean, awesome. they've been around forever. Yeah. So keep I going. didn't know what it was, but basically what we do is we're a nonprofit real estate company. We buy land and protect it from being developed. Um, so, and that also includes working with private landowners who want to protect their land. Where, mm -hmm. And we mm -hmm. work with them to put um, contracts on the land that uh, legally prevent it from being developed even in the event that the landowner passes on or sells the property. The easement is still upheld. And that's fantastic. Yeah, you you want to try and make um, those kind of easements or those kind of ideas of, of protecting the land in Perpetuity, I think it's called. Perpetuity. Perpetuity. We use that word quite Perp a lot. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's yeah. um, you know, those things can fall apart in another fifty years, but the you know, you can try. It's, so far, it's a fantastic thing. So far, land trusts have won every legal challenge to them. Yeah, and that's so, fantastic. As long as you know, these days it's hard to have. A ton of faith that the law, the rule of law, will be upheld. But it's not just these days. <laughs> but I like you know, to we think made, that we made an agreement as a as a nation to give some people land two hundred years ago, as long as grass grew and the sky was was uh, right. blue or some. So and we may not be protected. We sometimes don't we, follow through. We may not be protected against eminent domain. That's really the only really large threat to us right. is if the federal government comes to us and says, "No, we need it." Yeah, that we're just a really uh, bizarre thing about the federal government. Um, among many, I mean, things. I well, among many things, but that's a yeah, that's a strange thing. Is that yes, you own a, like you when you buy a house and you buy the land, and for one thing, you don't own what's above you for very, you own what's above mm. you for a little ways and you don't own what's under you. You only right. <laughs> own a couple feet under you. And then if there's something there that somebody wants, well, they can have it. Yep. Whatever it takes to get it, no matter how deadly it is trying to get that thing. Anyhow. Yeah. So congratulations. That's fantastic. And what do you do for them? I do communication. So uh -huh. I used to be a marketing manager. Yeah. And then when you go to work for a nonprofit, they call it communications. Okay, so it's really it's a softer. It's, a, it's a some softer more a more approachable, more nonprofit friendly. So it's the marketing job title nonprofit. Yeah, I yeah, think it is. They still have to market. It. Yeah. I essentially do the same thing. I I run all of the social media. I manage the website. I oversee any sort of uh, branded projects marketing materials, brochures, posters. I help promote our events. Um, I'm working on internal communication things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's all really great work. And the, the best part about it is that I often get to be outdoors and on the land. Oh, right. Recording pro uh, projects or events that we're having mm -hmm. um, or just taking photographs to share with our audience. And um, it's a it's a wonderful organization that's got a great reputation and a really engaged online following, which I haven't had in a while. So it's very exciting for me as a communicator to to be putting content out again and have a really 
really high rate of engagement of people liking and commenting and sharing and um it's it's very rewarding work it makes me feel very connected to nature and the other really exciting about uh, the other really exciting thing about being there at this time is that we're in a really powerful mindset shift as an industry the conservation industry has a history of being very white and very uh, very benefiting of a system that oppresses people of color and um and and we're starting to acknowledge that we're occupying land that was stolen and um we are asking ourselves really hard questions of how do we how do we reconcile that That's we're great. occupying stolen land mm-hmm. how do we include more people of color how do we include younger people how do we include people of different abilities in our work um you know the outdoors is has just been a very narrow scope demographic and when when you think about like any rei ad that's ever been put out you know the people tend to be thin 30s fit white ponytails and so you know i think it's it's a really it's a really exciting time to come on board when they're really grappling with these hard questions of like you know first acknowledging that that's the case and then secondly trying to figure out how do we um how do we adapt how do we become more inclusive how do we make it or make our work more equitable and it, it's really exciting that is exciting that's great and i'm just totally assuming here but it's a total it's a guess that a um a lot of your donors are probably not thin white kids in their 30s. No, they're thin white old people. <laughs> <laughs> mostly mostly women. Mostly but, women. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is kind of that's surprising kind of, because our leadership me. has largely been male. Mm-hmm. And um, all of our landowners, almost all of our landowners that we work with are white and male and older. Um, so, yeah, our demographic is definitely... 65 plus white um, NPR listeners, Patagonia wearers. Right. Um, right. Which is, you know, it, it all fits together. I mean, it's we all have these sort of, I think, preconceived notions of like who the outdoors is for. But if you're also talking about land ownership, that is also who owns most of the land. Who owns most? And it is interesting that... Um, pe- who spends time in the outdoors is very much a cultural thing. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you watch a lot of comedians, you'll kind of get that. I mean, yeah. if, if you see a comedian um, joking about how silly camping is, it's generally not a, a young white person. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's generally someone from a different culture. And, and so it, I, yeah. I haven't really thought about that before. And of course, the, I had the image of a hunter... Uh, mm-hmm. it is generally a guy, a white guy in a pickup. With, yeah. So right. <laughs> it's not with a beer can with a beer can and, you know, <laughs> and sorry, Joe Rogan, but that's not, sorry, Joe. <laughs> it's, 
<laughs> yeah, Not and a, of course it wasn't yeah. something I had thought about before because I didn't, I never had to. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's mm-hmm. living in Oregon. It's you know, we're 85% white. And so, you know, we're not, we just don't have the exposure, I think, to a lot of the, the things that people of color really struggle with. And it's, I think that's Oregon's struggle is that, you know, it's like, because we're really liberal people and, and Eugene especially is like peace and love and let's include everybody, but they don't really, um, they do it in a way that doesn't really acknowledge the systemic oppression that people of color are faced with. And so trying to learn about that and also like as a white woman, try to talk about it in a way that's not patronizing. It's like, it's a big it's, challenge, it but is. it, but it's also really important to put myself in that uncomfortable position mm-hmm. because any level of discomfort I have around it is trivial. Right. You know, and- so I'm trying to learn how to talk about white privilege in a way that still hopefully makes space for marginalized people. It is always difficult to talk about white privilege as a white privilegee. Right. Because we are a member of the white privilege, privilege class. Yeah. I, I mean, Absolutely. you know, it's not like we're wealthy, but compared to a lot of people, yeah. we are. Yeah. We're, we're doing okay. So it is interesting. And you know, that point you made about Oregon being 85% Caucasian, is that's a big one. Because Oregon does want to be, they want to be really inclusive. And I know there's a lot of different organizations and companies in Oregon that are like that. The difficulty is uh, there's not as many people to include, uh, especially in Eugene. I mean, Portland right. has a little more diversity. And Eugene does not have a lot of diversity. To... So you know, it's bring tricky. yeah, it's very easy to bring those people on board and for them to feel tokenized because right. they're the oh, only yeah. the only brown mm-hmm. person in a room full of white people, and you know everybody's patting them on the back, but we're not necessarily doing the hard work of saying you know does this person have a voice? Do they feel comfortable speaking up, um, or there are they intimidated and feeling singled out? Um, even with good intentions, things right. like that could happen. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it's, but it's, I feel grateful to be in the thick of it and to be confronted with those big questions because also part of recognizing my privilege is that up until this point, I really haven't had to have those conversations with myself and I want to be a good ally and I want to, I want to share the great work that we're doing with everybody and I want everybody to benefit from from conservation work. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> when we talk about things like climate change, that also is very closely linked to equity because oh my gosh, yes, people of color yeah. will be disproportionately affected by the changes that we see in our climate, and and they're already disproportionately affected by the toxicity that we put into the environment of different chemicals and things and. And I always kind of thought if people could just go outside and be in nature, they'd be, you know, they would have that same sense of like peace that I experience. Mm -hmm. But I've also been hearing things where there's like a lot of cultural implications to going outside. We recently had a young man from Guatemala City come and talk to us. He works for Beyond Toxics 
And he talked to us about the the equity work that he's doing with them and with the NAACP. And it's his job to basically evaluate local environmental policies and mm-hmm. determine whether they're equitable and make recommendations to local governments on how they can adjust their policies. Well, that sounds and like he, a pretty small job. <laughs> it was great. You wow. know, we invited him because he wrote yeah. an op-ed in the paper and, uh-huh. and we were like, we totally want to talk about this stuff. And he works right across the hall from us. And so we were like, do you oh, want, would you awesome. come do like a brown bag lunch discussion with us? And, and to me, he had a lot of great information about it. And, but to me, the most revealing thing to me was this person whose job it is to evaluate environmental quality for people told us he hates going outside and he hates camping. Wow. <clears throat> and he wow. said, you know, I grew up in this really urban environment. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of places in the world, the wilderness is dangerous. Right. Because there are other people who would do marginalized people harm out in there. And there's also conservation agencies specifically in Guatemala that have defrauded people who live there who have taken the land in the name of saving it from the power company and then selling the land back to the said power company that you know was um, displacing people in the first place so it was just um I can't I don't feel like I'm speaking as intelligently as I could about no I completely it, better, understand but, um, I, at least you know, I, just I, you like, know, yeah. yeah, in, in other countries, conservation can a lot has in the past been somewhat nefarious in terms of taking land from indigenous people that's, that is currently occupied and selling it to, to, uh, you know, natural resource companies that will exploit it. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of trust issues there. Yes. Um, I was at a conference last month in Raleigh, and there was a man from Chicago speaking there. And he had said that African-Americans in Chicago are a lot of times afraid of going out into, there's these open woods outside of Chicago that's mm-hmm. like public land. And this organization's trying to get more people of color to come out. But the previous generation, you know, remembers that place as somewhere lynchings happened. Oh, yeah. And they told their kids, don't go to the, don't go there. You know, that's, you'll get hurt. Right. And so there's like, there are very real, those are just two examples of some very real cultural fears around the outdoors that I think white people have just never realized because we've never felt that way. We've never been under threat. Well, even people who love camping and who, which I find more in my generation than in younger generations, Mm. it seems like. Although campgrounds are full anytime you go there. but Yeah, they keep getting fuller. They keep getting fuller. Mm-hmm. But I talk to a lot of people who, um, I mean, it's kind of a culture of fear of the outdoors, even in our culture, where in most places in America, the outdoors are extremely safe. There's not mm-hmm. things that are going to bite you and kill you. There's, you right. know, <laughs> there's very beautiful places to go that are set aside for you because of our natural parks and have beautiful trails and all these things you can car camp but you know you can you can barely even uh 
you can leave, take all of the luxury with you is what I'm trying to say. And there's still a culture here even of people who are afraid to go out. It's like they're afraid of the outdoors, you know, because of, of movies partly yeah. and because of different things that, that prey on our fear. And it's like an urban environment is far more dangerous in America than uh, an outdoor environment. It, and it's just, it's interesting how even, even here where there's the vast majority of places in America that you go outside are extremely safe and people are still afraid of it. Yeah. There's still that culture of, oh my gosh, outside. I mean, apart from the, oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. That's a whole different thing, um, which is to well, me yeah. just kind of sad because there are a lot of people well, like that. There too, are a who lot are just of, like, oh yeah. Oh, I, I just need a bathroom. <laughs> yes. Like, wow. Or, or, uh, yeah, you can go on and on. I, I don't want to get rained. I don't want to get cold. I mean, you know. Right. All kinds of different things. It's like you have, have you, don't you want to breathe? I mean, you know, Eugene's pretty clean, but if I go to the Redwoods, there is so much more oxygen there. Yeah, there it's, it's, I mean, Eugene's, even this farm outside of Eugene, it's yeah, just like when you're it's outside. Not as nice. Eugene's not as clean as it likes to think it is. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. Yeah, there's absolutely a lot true. Of, I, there are a lot of environmental toxins in our yeah. air. Oh, I've, I've, um, I spoke to a kid who was doing a paper on the Willamette River, and he mm. was talking about the the cleanup efforts of the Willamette River and the history of it. Yeah. And it's gone through like four or five different um, changes between don't even swim in it to, mm. okay, now it's clean enough to drink. Wow. And this has happened several times in the, in the last like 50 years, because anytime that... Um, regulations get lifted mm -hmm. which is why things are so scary right now with the epa mm -hmm. then everyone says well we'll just dump then yeah we'll just dump because there's lots of things along the willamette river that are that have you know poison they can put in there if they're allowed to so even yeah. you know that's a river we think is pristine but not always no not no. always yeah. and it's uh i studied sustainability in business school mm -hmm. and it it was that was a recurring theme in my studies in most of the papers I wrote. Yeah, but the industrial complex that we have right now will, the only thing that stops them from polluting is government regulation. Which is interesting, <laughs> yes, because there, there's so much distrust for government. Boy, we're talking right. a lot of politics on this show, which I never I talk about. But there's so much distrust it's for government. Of my but work it's, these yeah, days. it's the nature of your work. <laughs> but it's it's the only thing keeping us uh, that, that's kept us alive this long. I mean, a lot yeah. of us. Um, but then and then you have things like um, uh, when rivers are completely polluted. And uh, what am I thinking of? Not Detroit, but. Um, the city that the water basically turned brown. Oh, in Flint. Uh, Flint, yeah. Flint, Michigan, and they're still yeah. just like saying, "Oh well." Yeah, they're still drinking. Oh well, yeah, water. It's, it's bad. Uh, sorry, sorry, it's dirty. In, in you know, in a country where we have the resources to fix that, we I completely know. have the resources resources to fix it, and we're just like, I don't know. It's. I don't know. It's weird. <sighs> yeah. It's bizarre. Seen seen any good movies lately? <laughs> 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 oh no, no. it's it's great that you have that uh yeah that i know got that, that got really heavy that, but it's but it's, that's good that's these good. are the things that's that what I'm, podcasts are for 
I'm grappling with every yeah. day now. And it, it's it's been so it's been remarkable, but also exhausting because mm -hmm. it's a lot of emotional labor I'm adding to my plate on a daily basis of trying to figure out what's going on with our environment and like is what we're doing enough like i mean it's not enough it's, it's never enough not enough right now but it's, then it's like yeah. how do we but the, so then how do trying. we talk about climate change as mm -hmm. a as a regional conservation organization where we know like even if we were to protect every open space in lane county you know it wouldn't necessarily save us it's true, but, and I grapple with that on a personal level, like yeah. with the things you can do as an individual. Well, I, you know, I, I won't buy this because it's garbage, or I'll, I'll recycle that. Wait a minute, I can't recycle that. I live in <laughs> Eugene. No, I can't. Yeah, and, he, and, well, that's, and then it's yeah, like the system. It, it, it's hard. It needs to be a bigger puts us deal. In a place yeah, where we don't really have much choice we it feels that know, way to me too we like have we less don't disposable have income control. and yeah we yeah. don't we don't, don't even even most of our recycling ends up someplace yeah awful that yeah or just in actually the vast majority of recycling i've just discovered this in the last couple of years is warehoused because there's nowhere right that's recycling it yeah it's, there's too much of it there's we just make especially plastics i mean Aluminum gets used. Uh, mm -hmm. Now Eugene is doing the green recycling, which I think is awesome. Um, but yeah, the vast majority of stuff just sits. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was going to, oh, there was something I was going to talk about before that, but oh well. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, that movies, okay. though. Oh, meditation. Have you tried meditation? <laughs> It's really helpful when you're taking on all that stuff you're talking about. Like, yeah, it's it's uh, because it is really hard to have that. I mean, I know what I know kind of the space you're in. You get exposed to a lot more than the average person when you're actually working on it on a day to day basis. It, Environmental it's a, it's grief a lot. is a thing. Yeah. yeah, it's and it's Absolutely. something we talk about at work. Where oh, that's good. You know, we you know, we were having conversations of like, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we take care of our mental health? And, mm -hmm. you know, when we are, we can't shut it off because it's our work. Right. And, uh, you know, I had that luxury before and I'm learning how to reconcile it now. And mm -hmm. I will say I have not been successful at my attempts in meditation, but I do things that are meditative. Like I really love to lap swim. Mm -hmm. That is just sort of, just quietly being absorbed in the water and just thinking about what my body is doing. Yoga will do it for me too. Well, and there's to see those are forms of meditation. I mean, right. sitting down and, and uh, crossing your legs <laughs> and uh, levitating. I mean, you know, we've all done that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. the, um, I mean, I've had points in my life where I, like I, my mind was too busy to meditate. So I would do exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I would just walk and not look at anything else. Just yeah. walk or do, um, lap swimming. Those, you know, when you're clearing your mind like that and you're just thinking about swimming or you're just thinking about something else you're doing, that's still a form of meditation. It's a way to, yeah, I think it accomplishes your mind a little bit. Yeah. The, the same, the same idea is to just yeah mm -hmm. just clean out your mind you and gotta, a lot of it yeah. for me is just like my brain is usually going 100 miles an hour 
I'm thinking about four or five different things. I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking about my chores at home, I'm thinking about work. I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for lunch. I'm thinking about my, my partner, mm-hmm. managing a bunch of personal, interpersonal things. I've got theater things on my plate all the time. And so for me to just be able to give myself a quiet space for mental output without any additional input mm-hmm. is, yeah, essential. It, yeah, it is essential. <laughs> it's it's hugely important for your, everyone's health. It, it's as much as, I mean, if you're exercising, that's a, that is, like I say, a type of meditation. But mm-hmm. taking those mental breaks is, um, it'll make the being able to it'll make you able to do all those things without yeah. completely losing it right. <laughs> you know? right. uh, i'm only mentioning this because i've been trying i've been doing more of it so it yeah it can uh, it's very helpful very yeah. helpful I, wanna, I, I like to encourage other people to do that and you know swimming is a very it's it's a similar kind of thing so um you're only doing five things right now it sounds like <laughs> I'm on a your, little, I'm on a your... little break right now. Except that oh, I, was... I am, I'm a little break from theater right now. Oh, I thought you were doing lighting. I finished it. Oh, you finished that? I was this like, week, because I when you responded lighting. so fast to do the podcast, I was like, "What? How's that possible?" Uh, you <laughs> okay. caught me at the most magical time. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Tuesday, I was so I, I took on the job of lighting designer for the first time. Mm-hmm. The this uh, uh, a woman named Carol Dennis is directing an original play mm-hmm. that was written by local playwright Rachel Carnes, and it's a really wonderful project that is a multicultural holiday play, and it's based on true stories of people in the community from different cultural perspectives. So we have someone who we have a Muslim character, we have a Spanish-speaking Cuban character. We have a Jewish character. And um, we've got an atheist. We have a Chinese immigrant. And they're all kind of, they're all stuck at the airport together. Oh, interesting. In a blizzard. Uh-huh. And Rachel's writing so great and brilliant. I mean, she's, she's an amazing person. Do you know her? I don't. You I should don't have her on the podcast. Okay. Her name's Rachel Carnes. Um, and she's had immense success she took her and i were in the same playwriting class three years ago mm-hmm. and she's had immense success as a playwright she's had dozens of her short plays be produced in london and korea oh, wow. and new york and california and she has two plays opening this weekend in eugene i know Somebody... your podcast won't be posted on time but but she's got bun fight happening with um at Oregon Contemporary Theater, and then this holiday play at the Very Little Theater. Well, this will so, be out by Saturday. So, Carol, yeah, so it's so, running right yeah. now. Go see it. Go see uh, them both. Yeah, that's great. Um, but uh, so Carol put out a call looking for lighting designers, and mm-hmm. they said, you know, um, you'll have a mentor. And I thought, you know, that's I, that's a job I haven't done yet. I'll I'll try it. I want to learn more about lighting and. Um, I said yes to it without considering my immense fear of heights and being <laughs> on ladders. So that, that's a tough one. That was a major, is a tough a one. major it's hurdle. Very hard to light. The first, getting up so high. the first try was a total failure. I, um, uh, 
I said to my husband, like, could you come with me and just make sure I don't die? And mm-hmm. he said, well, actually, you should probably you should probably just let me do it. And I'm like, that's great. Great. Even yeah. better. And I got all excited and we went down there and we got the big ladder and we put it up and he gets up halfway up the ladder and he goes, nope, I can't do it. Oh, no. I'm too scared. Oh, no. <laughs> so oh, then yeah. I thought, well, I've been up those ladders. You can't think about it. <laughs> no. And can't of course, you know, ours is 100 years old and yeah. it's wood and it's very heavy and. But but I will say I'm very proud of myself because I got through it and I did it. And Tuesday was the last time we were making final adjustments and I was just up and down and it really wasn't a big deal. So that's fantastic. You know, it was a face your fears kind uh-huh. of moment to be brave. And they're really happy with the lighting and um, and I'm I'm really excited. And I got to learn how to program the light board and put all the cues in that's fun it was fun it was fun it was stressful though because i i wanted to do a good job and Mm -hmm. this play has been a big challenge to put together because because it is a new play and because we're inviting new demographics of actors into the theater Mm -hmm. also a space that is very (laughs) dominated by white people um there, there were there's several actors in the another play. Another cultural thing. I another think. very I think cultural an, thing. I Community theater is super white. It is. And, and so, yes. Um, yep. But Carol Dennis and Stanley Coleman uh, started the Minority Voices Theater Project, which is working very hard to bring marginalized voices to the stage. And this is the first production that she's doing that's part of the VLT's regular season. But very much has that spirit of the Minority Voices Project. Mm -hmm. But part of that means also bringing in actors who have never acted before. So she's doing a lot of coaching. That's very brave. It it is. (laughs) That's very brave. Watching rehearsals, you can see who the experienced actors are. Mm -hmm. You can see the experienced actors sort of slowly, like, quietly squirm in their seats trying not to get frustrated (laughs) and and carol has just been so patient and brilliant but we we had we lost an actor oh no oh where is it where's the play (laughs) where is this happening you'll never guess you'll never guess who's in this show by the way speaking of that Sorry, audience. Sorry, in, audience. Insider. This is a, in, insider <laughs> laughing here. Uh, um, yes. No, but we, well, it's actually, we're laughing, but the, the circumstances of the actor leaving is, they're very sad. She, oh no. She, uh, she had a stroke. So, oh. um, okay. I guess that's pretty, which is not funny. It's not funny. And it's, um, a very good reason to leave it. It's a, it's a legitimate excuse. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, they had to actually rewrite the character because it was the Cuban oh, character. No. And uh, we couldn't find someone else in that age group that could do it, especially four weeks before the show opens. So um, we found a wonderful young uh, Spanish-speaking woman who is a, uh, has a lot of talent. I, I, haven't, I hadn't met her before, but um, she's very good and... Mm-hmm. Um, but she came on, you know, four weeks before opening and the script had to wow. be rewritten as wow. a as a tia oh instead of grandma abuela. Uh-huh. So uh 
but they you know they pulled um, it together and it's great i have to adjust the mic i think it's falling oh it did it fell down <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so that's we'll show see if I edit that or not. at Winter's Edge, it's called. That's what we needed. Yes. The name of the show. Yes, it's called At Winter's <laughs> Edge. It's playing at the Very Little Theater, December 6th through the 15th, I think. Oh, yeah. So this will be on plenty of time to promote it. Great. Yes, and then everyone in the show should share the podcast because you talk about the show. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so it's great. I It's a really, to me, this show, I really wanted to work on it. My whole point of this very long story was that I really wanted to work on it in whatever capacity I could. So when mm -hmm. Carol put out the call, I said, yeah, I'll do, I'll do lights because I'll do, I'll, I just really wanted to be involved and wanted to attach myself to that project because mm -hmm. it really, to me, represents what community theater should be, which oh, is great. new and inclusive and mm -hmm. welcoming to new actors and welcoming to people who don't know a lot about theater and representative of the community. And I think that's how that's how it's going to survive. And, you know, theaters, live theater across the board is suffering from technology. And, oh, right. You know, ticket sales, yeah. ticket sales are yeah, down. Yeah. And so the question is, how do we, how do we reignite those connections that made live theater really special? You know, the people who have been doing it for a long time understand it mm -hmm. um, and, and want to keep doing it. But for me, the real magic of community theater is, bringing new people in and watching them discover the special connection that you get from performing live. And so I think it's really great. And I hope, I really hope people go see it. Me too. Yeah. I think because I do, I hear, uh, I hear people put down theater in general and mm -hmm. it's shocking to me because as much as I love going to movies, there's nothing like, live theater i mean it's um yeah there's just there's nothing like it it's, it's a whole different experience it's it's more like you're right there with the actors and um you, yeah it's, it's and interesting. it's it's all on you and it's all mm -hmm. about that moment and i filmed my first short film this year over the summer and it, i all do we have a great a wonderful budding film community here in Eugene. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was very interesting that there wasn't a lot of overlap. There weren't a lot of theater people doing movies. I don't know why that is. I think it's just different friend groups kind of forming. But they've become, recently become very active on Facebook and recruiting people and recruiting more actors and Yes. Um, yep. So I did a film project. I got cast in a small film for a YouTube series called Scene in Eugene, mm -hmm. which hasn't launched yet. But Oh, it hasn't. Okay. Uh, I, I keep seeing all the stuff about it. He's promoting it a lot. Yeah. And, and he's filmed four or five episodes, but it's getting, it's getting um, bottlenecked in editing. And 
Oh, that happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it happens. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, it's it's going to go up there. You know, he's got several episodes in the can and he's just trying to be strategic about, you know, when to kind of release all of them. And, um, but I, after I did it, I said, I'm, I don't think I'll do another film. That's interesting. I did not get the same satisfaction from it that I do from being in a live rehearsal Mm -hmm. because when you're filming a movie, as soon as you deliver a line that doesn't work, you stop the whole thing and do it again. Yeah. And to me, that just really kills the adrenaline for me. It's ah, it's interesting. I've done a more film now than I have theater at mm-hmm. this point. Um, I wouldn't call it film. Video. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. <laughs> on camera work. I can't really call on it. On camera. I, I'm not, <laughs> on camera stuff. Yeah. Um, and some of it is complete, like there's no satisfaction at all because some of it has been so fast. You go in and say a few lines, go yeah. away. Mm-hmm. Um, but other stuff... I really like because there's stuff that you cannot do on stage that you can do on a camera. There, you mm-hmm. can use expression, you can use emotion that you can't use on stage. You can use much more real emotions. People won't see it. Won't see it and won't hear it. Mm. And won't hear it. I mean, um, you know, as you get better and better as an actor, better than I am, you can you, you can speak in a stage voice and still portray all the emotion. You know, it's still there. Yeah. But when you don't have to do that. When you're not forced to have that stage presence, it's different. It's a different experience. Um, Very different. It's also difficult um, to do it. How can I put this? I don't want to put down any of the production that's going on in Eugene. No. But it really depends. On on stage, you work with a director, producer, writer. Um, You work with them through rehearsal. Then you go on stage and it's yours. That part is yours. End of story. With uh, with film, it's not like that at all. You right. hopefully work with the producers and writers and directors on set. Um, sometimes you don't. You don't. You're only working with the director, but you have to put a ton of trust in the production to get it right. Mm-hmm. So it it really matters. Um, it's really exciting when someone does get it right, and when you see something you had no idea you were going to see. Because that's another thing about film is. You know, theater is really an actor's medium. Yeah. Um, film is a director's medium. So mm. if you get the right direct, I mean, that's, it's a, it's, it's a director and a whole bunch of collaboration. I mean, when you go on a bigger scale and they're spending a hundred million dollars on a movie, there's like a thousand plus people working on that movie. So every single one of those people have to do their job. I can't imagine being the actor in that situation. You don't know what's going on. You know, I mean, you know the script, right? But you don't know what you're going to see when you're done. So it's it is a it's very different, very different. Yeah, and there's something to me. I think you know my my friends that are enjoying film. You know, they like it because it's like you know you get to you get to do it until it's right, mm-hmm. and you get to yeah. do it until you know like it all comes together, and then you get to see yourself later and it's this you know it's this like you say and (laughs) that word perpetuity comes up again it's like it's there you know it's there forever which is good and bad and you're well it just depends on (laughs) how you feel about your performance exactly that's what i mean (laughs) but 
uh, you know, to me, what I was really missing was that audience feedback. Right. And for yeah. me, like, I almost enjoy being in an audience as much as I enjoy being on stage. Mm-hmm. There's something great. about the collective energy of a room. Yeah. Watching a live show, watching people take risks, watching people experience the emotional reaction in the moment mm-hmm. is that to me is so powerful and then to not have it while i'm being filmed well that's it feels flat to me it doesn't yeah. it feels more hollow which is it's interesting it's a different it's a different way of acting because mm-hmm. in in the kind of um productions we're talking about you don't really get the time to go where you need to go as an actor. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're in a large, if you're in a longer production, which I've done longer things, um, that's the joy of it. Yeah. Is you get time to do something you can't do in a play. Yeah. You know, you get time to explore a character in a way that's impossible on stage. And so it's just, it's different. Um, I mean, I completely understand people who prefer one over the other. Um, I, you know, Sometimes I want to say, well, film's more about ego, but I've done enough plays that I know that's not true. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, yeah, uh, you know, I mean. A little of that in, in all of us. I don't think you can get up in front of people and perform without some ego. It would be, it's pretty difficult. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. It, It's funny because I meet so many actors, including myself, that are, are really shy in a way. Yeah. It, it's like... A lot of them are introverted. A lot of them are introverted. And I've even spoken to a lot of actors who have stage fright, which I don't understand how they do it. Because if I had stage fright, I would never... That's one thing I've been very <laughs> lucky about, is I, I have no fear of going on stage in front of other people. Like, that doesn't Yeah, I don't really either. I don't get stage yeah. fright. I don't get nervous before a performance. I, I have been nervous at auditions, but I've learned... <laughs> let a lot of it go yeah i get really nervous that but that just gives me energy to do it um i mean i don't yeah. get stage stage fright's different it's where you're you're having like almost a panic attack <laughs> about going on stage it's yeah. a little more severe yeah if, yeah if i'm not a little bit nervous same with film if i don't have a little bit of nervous energy i don't i know it's not going to go well yeah yeah you know that's it's fair. not going to come I, out I, quite right yeah and i don't mean it that i never yeah. have like nerves or anticipation or just yeah. you know um you know i get flustered sometimes you know you, you want it to go well so yeah. you know and it's uh i just finished an acting class at oregon contemporary theater with um inga wilson who's mm-hmm. a brilliant actor and one of the few equity actors in eugene and she you know she's been to a million auditions and the class was focused on auditioning and and she basically said, like, you know, we we had a lot of conversations about, like, when you, when the stakes are, the higher the stakes are for you, the more likely you are to mess it up. That's true. <laughs> and so true. you have to learn. It's almost like you have to, you almost have to, like, go through the rejection yourself before you show up to the audition. You have to be prepared to not get the part. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think you have to be very... Um... You have to be very much into just just doing the. I mean, audition. I learned so much when I audition for mm, whatever. Me too. I yeah. learned. I, it's always it, because I realize. I always realize this after the audition. Oh, that is acting. I mean, when you go to it audition, is. you get to act. So yeah. it's fun. It the, is fun, and yeah. it's a lot of, for me. 
being like, you know, a more full-figured person in my 30s, not a lot of parts in the theater canon for someone my age and body type and gender. Like, um, well, it's either like very young or matriarchal uh-huh. type characters. Yeah, see, I have the, the same problem. Women. I have the same problem. Yeah. I'm, I'm a white male past middle age. You're not past middle age. I'm a little past middle age. There's less and less parts until I get older. Honestly, until well, I look, is, until I look, in general, look, oh, theater you know, doesn't love middle-aged people. <laughs> doesn't love this particular age that I am. Thirty to fifty it's a is like tricky. It's yeah. slimmer, slim it's, pickings. Right, right. Yeah, which is actually really why I started directing one, so I could find oh, find shows for the forgotten demographic of actors. Because <laughs> really, our talent pool is mostly that demographic too, which right. Is like right, it challenging. Was it's very challenging. <laughs> it's challenging to cast a lot of the shows that we want to do. Right. But it's like we're not thinking about it right. We're just not. We need to start picking shows that are more reflective of of who comes out mm-hmm. to play. Mm-hmm. And, and there used to be. It used to be when there was an older part in theater, they would just make make the person up. And yeah. It's interesting that you, they you don't, don't see we don't that, do anymore. that anymore. Yeah, don't we do don't that anymore. cast it's people like outside their age group. A, yeah. Which is surprising to me. I mean, I'm almost always cast well, outside my age group. But think about but too, like in the uh, in the movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I think about I think about the movie Charade a lot because Cary Grant is like the handsome lead in that show, and he's like twenty. Like Fifty? No, he's like twenty years older than Mer- Audrey Hepburn. Oh yeah, and this is still true. And it it's still happens. Still true. Yeah. When you, I mean, it's you don't. Finally, this has finally stopped happening with Kevin Costner, but there was a long period where Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Costner, Costner... who's that? Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who the heck is that? Through his 40s and 50s, yeah. he was playing the same part as he did in his 30s. Yes, Same exactly. guy, same yeah. play. And his female lead was could not be that. She had to be no. 29 to, to 35. You know, yeah. she had to look 29. And I always found that, I always kind of shook my head going, really? I mean, Why? But that's a movie. That's movies. Because that's a different thing. I, I think. Well, I think. I think part of it is culturally men. To, men. It's it's about who we find attractive. Men, women, younger women are considered more attractive, but but older men are considered more attractive. I think than younger men in a lot of cases. More mature. Yeah, it's a like whole. I think it's all a marketing type thing. Man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it all is, about but it's like a. And... It, yeah. Oh, because now I see it. Now, but I'm I just it. think about like you know, I I I don't know. I there's just a lot of like young women with older men. Still, mm-hmm. I just got done. We were watching Star Trek earlier, and Good I said something about how Jean Luc Picard is like the most woke man of the '90s, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, "Yeah, but." Patrick oh, Stewart married funny. like a twenty-year-old, and I was like, "She's 40. <laughs> and he's seventy-nine. God. It's and, fine. Yeah, it's fine <laughs> now. It's <laughs> well, it's interesting because now I'm seeing the same thing with the female leads. There's a lot mm-hmm. of uh, famous actresses who still get parts, uh, like Nicole Kidman and and people of that ilk, who are often cast. I think Nicole Kidman's a vampire. She probably is. And now she's being cast with a 20 year younger guy. Have you noticed that? I haven't. I've watched Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies is an example. Her husband's easy 20 years younger. I mean, brilliant show. 
brilliant all around. There has been, and a her shift, husband I is think. a genius actor. I mean, he's really. But it's good. also, and he is a vampire. Yeah, he <laughs> for reals. <laughs> well, he was, he was in uh, True Blood. So, oh yeah. right. Anyway, yeah, long circle there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did want to say though, I've said mm. this before on the show. The best advice I've ever gotten for auditioning. It's true in movies and plays, is they're looking for you. You know this as a director. Mm -hmm. They need to cast that part. If you go in with that idea, it really helps. If you go in with the idea, you know, they need me. They're <laughs> looking for someone to do this part. I'm probably that someone. It's helpful. It's helpful. Because they don't want, you know, they want to, I've heard this from other directors, maybe not with you, but they want to cast you. They want to be done. They want to get the, you know, they want to get, get it over with. I don't necessarily feel like I want to get it over with, but I, you know, for me, my, my audition philosophy is all, both when I am auditioning and when I'm on the casting side, I want to see who can make choices mm -hmm. that, and that for me, that's like always my number one criteria. Who can I work with? Who's going to be flexible? Who can I, who's going to, one, make their own choices that are both bold and memorable. But then when I give them something else to do, can they make that adjustment? Right. Of course. And, and so I don't think I am. I, as a director, I don't think I am looking for the person who's very self-assured. I am looking for somebody who is a vessel mm -hmm. who can... Who can give me back? But isn't that still someone who's very self-assured? And I didn't really Not mean it. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean going in there okay. thinking you're, you know, the, the shiz. To me, that's what you said. Oh, okay. It was like that's, this whole that, like I think that's you're looking reason. for me. You need me. I'm like I don't need you. <laughs> I meant more. They need an actor. I meant more. They need an actor to fill that part. Yeah. And as an actor, if you know. In order to get rid of some of those nerves and be confident, the yeah. director is looking for someone. They're not just there to, um, you know, to criticize you. They're, oh no, that's true. Hundred percent. Help, help. We want know. everyone. Yeah. I can. I think I can speak universally for directors that we want everyone to be good. Right. We want right. everyone to succeed. We want, you know, we want to have options for who we can put in a role. Mm -hmm. um, but we also. I guess, yeah, I, I guess I would say though, is that I would, I would rather work with someone who's really hungry and I can see that than someone who thinks they have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I think there's both of those, you get both of those kinds of people right. at right. auditions where they're, you can tell it's like, this is the route I'm going, and that's what this character is. There's no curiosity or imagination behind it. They're doing it either exactly like how they saw someone else do it, or they're just reading words on a page. Right, right. You know? Yeah, that's kind of a different thing, kind of a different thing than what I was talking about. Okay. I mean, when you yeah. give them something, you want them to give it back to you in a way yes, that says, yeah. cast me, right? You, oh, you fair. Don't, yeah, you that's know, fair. Okay, you, yeah. Yeah. All right, we're on... We're <laughs> getting to this. We're thing. aligning. <laughs> yeah. But it is it is good to hear it's always good to hear the other side of 
casting and you have a very unique perspective having done both. I've had several people on the podcast who've done acting, producing, directing, writing. Um, and you know, that, um, that's a lot, but it, it is helpful. Yeah. That keeps slipping down. <laughs> Very good. That's it. We're adjusting mics again in case I don't edit this. Yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> you sound great. You sound down. great. Well, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, um, I've been writing more. Oh, good. I, I joined a good. writer's group. Writing seems uh, incredibly hard to me. It's something I haven't tackled. It. This is actually what I'm doing here, the podcast. This is my version of writing. So I like it. This way I don't have to write it down. I still get ideas out. I hear other people's ideas, um, but I don't have to write it out until I try to describe the show. Yeah, I like it. It's good. Yeah. I, um, I'll i be honest. I, writing has always been very hard for me, but it's mm -hmm. been something I've really romanticized and really wanted to do ever since I was really little. Oh, that's good. Uh I wrote my first play when I was in seventh grade. Wow. And I wrote it wow. because I was mad at the drama teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, you know, they're not considering who's in class. Mm -hmm. They're just picking some random middle schooler play that has no like real reward as a as a seventh grade actor. Mm -hmm. I and I felt part of it was because, so the big thing was I was in, when you're in seventh grade drama, everybody gets a part, you know, you do a whole right. class right. play and, um, I got really upset because there was a part that I wanted and I was without ego, 100% the most capable performer in the mm -hmm. room because I'd been doing it since I was five and I was. Wow. I I'm a thinker and I took it seriously and mm -hmm. and most kids were just in there for an easy you know walk. Right. And she cast somebody who looked the part but couldn't act in the part that I wanted and I was really angry oh, about that. No. I was really angry and so that was all. my response was I'm going to just write my own stuff mm -hmm. and do my own place. <laughs> she went all Hollywood. She did. <clears throat> Hollywood used to be more that way. I'm actually seeing that. It, it seems to me anyway, because I've you know been watching movies a while, um, that the level of acting has really gone up in the last like 30 years or so. I mean, there's yeah, always been I great think... actors, but it seems like you have to be good now to, to get in. That I don't see as many terrible actors <sighs> that just look good. I don't know. I'm kind of I'm kind of using the Avengers uh, sh movies as an example, but I also those feel people like are all those really good. They are good, but they're all <laughs> mailing it in. I'm not I've sure seen, I agree with that. Okay, well I I'm haven't not, seen. Not I sure will I agree admit with that. that I no, uh, gave now, up some on of the them? Marvel movies quite a few years. Yeah, ago. Yeah, some of those movies I haven't seen them all. I definitely <laughs> I've haven't seen them seen, all. But I've seen a couple I of the most recent ones. Yeah, yeah, that was probably mailed in, but. But even Robert uh, I, Downey Jr. mailing it in is still It's still good. pretty darn it's good. It's still entertaining. Exactly. And the people <laughs> around him uh, have to do a really good job to keep up with him. That's I mean, fair. You know. Yeah. They no, hire, that's yeah. fair. Yeah, I think, um, I wonder, too, if just the, just 
technology has made film a lot easier and made film distribution a lot easier. And I feel like, and I don't know if this is me being more mature and seeking out more complex content, but I feel like, you know, independent movies are much more competitive than they used to be because mm-hmm. because they can they can more easily get themselves out there. They don't necessarily have to have a national distribution deal and buy 10 million pounds of fil- film reels to, right. to get their right. movie out. And, you know, like I think about like this last year, in the last couple of years, I guess, like the movie Booksmart mm-hmm. or the movie 8th Grade or... Um, Lady Bird, which are all sort of similarly themed coming of age movies, but those are the ones that just sort of come to top of mind of like not necessarily the biggest names acting. I mean, Saoirse Ronan is pretty big name, but um, you know, Booksmart was relatively less known actors and eighth grade, no, you know, was nobody famous and uh, but those movies were just really, really well done and really well constructed and complex and powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, if they had come out when I was that age, I don't know if I would have, I know for sure I would have never seen them. I, I wouldn't have been exposed to them. I wouldn't right. have had access to them. Right. Wouldn't have. Well, that's one of the cool things <clears throat> about so many mediums is there are there are more um, filmmakers that can get their stuff out there. I mean, on Netflix mm-hmm. and Amazon, <clears throat> right. I'm not trying to promote anything here, but there, yeah, but I think there are that... so many independent movies and foreign independent movies and TV series yeah. that we, yeah. But e- I think even that's 10 why years ago we you can't mail it. it in anymore. Oh yeah, that makes because sense. Because now it's... it's like, I have so many more choices so many, than yeah. I did 20 years ago. Yeah. I, and... Uh, now I've got, yeah, I've got Netflix and Amazon and, um, I, I don't normally, I don't feel compelled to go to a movie theater right. very, very often. There are, sometimes I like to go, um, What did for I go for? Oh, that little, there was a little indie movie, um, about a superhero character that I did go to the theater for. Um, it was just some offhanded uh, comic book thing. Mm. It's barely. Uh, you probably know Joker. You ever heard? You remember that? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Not really any promotion Ugh. for it. Or... <laughs> I couldn't. I, I could do, not with that movie. This but... is one of these films. I would not recommend it to people. I mean, it's bizarre. Um, but people it was really loved it. it. Was, they said it was really yeah, good and it was important. Genius. And I, I don't know that it was important. I might watch yeah. it at home someday. I, I disagree with a lot of what people said about it. And I had this conversation with a do. friend of mine. <laughs> yeah. It, it, a lot of that stuff was, well, my, oh, actually my only real disagreement was it was a brilliant film, brilliant performance. My only problem with it is that it was called Joker <laughs> <laughs> because it wasn't, you know, that was, it wasn't really about that character. It was about something else. And it, it was, it was a, a brilliant departure. way to do this. Yeah, uh, It wasn't, it was more than a departure. It wasn't about the Joker. <laughs> about a different mm-hmm. character. But it was a very interesting way to get across a message. And it mm-hmm. was, 
definitely a message film and a one of. Yeah, you know, that's what I heard. It's too. always nice to have a one of in that universe as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, interesting thing about the superhero shows. Somehow I went down a YouTube rabbit hole recently, and I saw the guy. You know the actor who plays Loki. Mm -hmm. He's probably Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston, maybe the best actor in those series. It's pretty great. When he auditioned. This is blows my mind to think about it now, and ki most kids don't even know this. When he auditioned, they were looking for unknowns. Yeah, no one knew what this universe was, and they were trying to create it with unknown actors. Mm. So if you look back, you're like, oh yeah, those guys. No one knew who those people were. Yeah, they had done a few movies. You know, um, some of them were sort of names, but not really. Well, even I mean. So, it's, Other than Robert Downey Jr., who was, mm -hmm. and and I would say Mark Ruffalo, like people knew who he was, and yeah, and he, but he came in later. I mean, the, you yeah. know, after the, but yeah, yeah even uh, even Hemsworth really hadn't done much right. before Thor. Hemsworth was uh, well. The interesting thing was was Tom Hiddleston tried out for Thor. That's who I auditioned for, and he's so uh, small though. Well, um, <laughs> what's his name wasn't huge either. He was skinny. He became Thor. Oh man! He, yeah, he would, and I've seen him in films. He's done. He did some films in between where he dropped that that muscle, so, and he yeah. looks a lot different. Yeah, he, they work hard to look I'm like that. I'm trying to think of what else I've seen um, him in. I know I've seen him in stuff, but but yeah, thankfully they saw how good he would be as as uh, Thor's brother. I had you know the thing that really killed it for me with the Marvel movies was Thor. Mm -hmm. I I had a really tough time with Natalie Portman's character. I had a tough time with the um with imagining that director doing that. Who directed it? That's directed by Was um, it Whedon? No, no, it's directed by the no. guy who did all the Shakespeare. Kenneth Branagh. Kenneth, Kenneth yes. freaking Branagh directed <laughs> Thor. That's yes. right. Yes. Yeah. It still blows my Which, mind. To me, and I thought, some of like, the sequels. It, Which I don't makes know. sense that the leading lady was some subservient, like caving. I'm like, never mind the fact that she's like a brilliant top world scientist. <laughs> like, it didn't play that way. It was like yeah, as soon as muscle shows up, she right. turns into this little girly puddle of goo, and I was so irritated by that. I just That's, was like, you know what, Marvel? Oh, geez, you're dead to me. <laughs> it was a very Shakespearean. Uh, movie just too. all that guy knows how to do but i mean it's about you know a father with two sons one's good mm -hmm. one's it's very mm -hmm. shakespeare that must very, have been that must have the producers must have just been but sitting the, around in a room and being like this is kind of shakespearean let's what? call that kenneth Brona guy call that kenneth guy <laughs> it's gonna be great i'm not surprised that they would call him i'm surprised he would go oh yeah sure yeah Money. i've always wanted to do that I've always wanted to make millions of dollars. I've always wanted I to make millions. Not yeah. a lot of money in Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably not as much. The it's, last movie I saw in theaters was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, see, I really I want to see that. And it was there was four movies at the same time um, that came out because that came out not very long before Joker. Yeah. And I decided it's probably well. I'd like to see that in the theaters too. Absolutely. Probably too late now, but um did you like that? Um I did and I really didn't want to. 
And you didn't want to. I find I, yeah, I've I, had that. I find Tarantino a really <clears throat> gross person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I really sure. Totally what... understand that, especially <laughs> really as, sure. as a woman. Right. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, you know, his movies are not don't really. And I didn't think this movie was an exception. His movies don't really consider the feminine perspective very much, and and they're incredibly violent. And I will say, there's some of his. You know, Inglorious Bastards is probably one of my favorite movies. Oh, interesting. Mostly because. Christoph Waltz is like a genius, mm-hmm. and and the, the casting. I mean, Brad Pitt in that movie is hilarious, and I love seeing Brad Pitt in more comedic roles because he really does have the chops. And yeah. I think oh, people, yeah. I think people just think of him as, um, you know, eye candy. Well, but he's it, taken a lot of those roles, but he he has. I know, but I still feel yeah. like it was hard for him to sort of break out of the '90s Brad Pitt image mm-hmm. and the whole drama with him and jennifer aniston and angelina jolie and it i mean like obviously like the he did the oceans movies which are sort of that same comic timing comic timing mr and mrs smith is a comedy it is a comedy you're right it's that's a comedy but that's not what people went to go see it for i don't know what in the world you're talking about really I didn't. I didn't go see People it. I, I to thought go it see sounded, that movie because it was sexy. Yeah, I thought it sounded <laughs> terrible because um, it was terrible. It sounded terrible. I it's. It, I went to see it because in I expected it to be it terrible. See, yeah, because I expected terrible. But, it ends up being better than I thought, but, but largely because of the co-stars. Yeah. So I. It's not like I hate Tarantino's movies. I love Kill Bill. I think those movies are great. That those, is the one exception, see, I guess, where he does yeah. consider more. It is a more female-driven like movie. That's a feminist-driven movie, and that movie. When I saw Kill Bill, I was so unimpressed. When I watched Kill Bill Two, which I don't know why I did, I was like, "Why? Why am I watching this?" And I got to the oh, end you didn't of like Kill Bill. I didn't really like it, but I got mm. to the end of Kill Bill Two, and I went, "Oh my god, this whole thing is genius." And like, what's it took weird me, for it, me is that I had to see the whole arc. Yeah, and then I you realized you have to see the whole thing oh, to really appreciate that's amazing. it. Amazing. And I will say, I like the first movie better. I just find it more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, because the second movie is just basically her and Michael Madsen and Daryl Hannah in a trailer for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. And it's great, but it's also like okay, but you also I get, get the it. scene with you finally get the scene with <laughs> but, Bill. But yeah, the huge. the ending obviously, you know, you need them, you need the whole thing together. But I also yeah. think could he have taken both movies and cut it down to two hours? Yeah, probably. That well, that's the only thing that bothers me about <laughs> modern day action movies, and I just I blanket them all. I even include Joker in this. Mm. Um, if you can't edit that story down to two hours. What are you doing? What are you doing? And he's I mean, being Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. He's but it's not just him. Now Hollywood, it's everyone. But Hollywood, the Hollywood movie was no exception. There were there were scenes in that movie that felt like they were an hour long. Oh, okay. It's a very one. It, it is a very long movie. It's almost three hours, uh-huh. or it's over three hours. It's, I think it's over three. Wow, I'm, it's long. Don't don't quote me on yeah. that. But it is. It's either close to or over three hours, and. It doesn't really come together until the very end. Like two hours in, you're like, I don't hate this, but I not really <laughs> seeing where it's going at this uh-huh. point. Like, mm-hmm. like Leonardo DiCaprio's over here doing this thing. Brad Pitt's over here with like 
a bunch of Manson family. Hey, don't give it away. I haven't seen it. I'm not giving it away. You know that it is. It's not a spoiler. (laughs) He's like out on this ranch, Uh you know, where they were all camped out. And and then there's like, and then uh, what's her face? Um, I don't know. uh, You know, um, Rob, Rob, Margot Robbie. Oh, Margot okay. Robbie's over like oh right doing right. I forgot like, she was in it doing a go go type mm-hmm. scenes of there's a lot of scenes of her not talking and just like walking through town and there's music playing and you're like what is this uh, it's for and, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I know what it is <laughs> well it's a Hollywood thing <laughs> she's great but it didn't do it for me let's say that but it was yeah so there were just like a lot of like really and so it was like okay is this Tarantino's like commentary on 1960s hollywood is it uh marilyn you know is it the story of charles manson is it right is it about right. leonardo dicaprio he's hmm. not even really about him he's in mm-hmm. a large part of the movie but it's like it's like he's his own subplot that's like way over here wow but i will say i still would say I enjoyed the movie. Mm-hmm. And if for no other reason than a incredibly brilliant flashback scene about Brad Pitt's character that ends with the most like delicious like reconciliation reaction like the flashback ends and it goes back to Brad Pitt and he just sort of <laughs> you don't have to see the movie but it's it's this like incredibly subtle like little reaction that he has at the end of it that just makes the whole thing like so good and he's very funny but i will say um one he's aged very well he's very handsome who in this movie brad, brad pitt. pitt yeah huh you can tell he's older huh. but like sit him next to leonardo dicaprio who i think is even younger than he is but he probably is I've just Leo I can see has the, not I, aged. I know well. I could see in the pictures. I and I, I was always like, that was weird casting. They uh, look I mean I like the they idea. They do not look the same. Because a lot of times a stunt guy will be better looking, but lots that's, better that's looking. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. But what I will but, say uh, but about they did, it's I'm uh, it started out that way. Come on. Sure. There was never a time when anyone looked better than Brad Pitt. That's, I, I think still <laughs> nobody does. No, not really. <laughs> no. He's one of those freaks. He's, he he's is, a freak. I, yeah. that is a freak of nature when people look that good. Yeah, that's, I agree. That's not the norm. That's the, that's it's the freaks. Not, no, most people age. <laughs> most people age. And, and it's like he has yeah. aged, but he's just aged well, like yeah. a nice wine. <laughs> and But what I was going to say about it was like his performance in that movie really uh satisfied me and because Hmm. there's something he doesn't say a lot he doesn't say much he doesn't have a lot of lines but he says a lot with his face and his body and his his just sort of expression and i really really i find that so compelling sometimes when an actor can do a lot with not very many lines oh me too and and yeah. Tom Hardy is actually another. It reminded me of Tom Hardy's performance in that movie he did with Sheila Booth about prohibition. I think it's called Lawless. Oh, I did never that did movie? see that. I never <sighs> saw that. It's a really good movie with Jessica Chastain mm-hmm. and Sheila Booth, 
who is okay. I never knew that's how you pronounced his last name. I've it may not be. Yeah. I'm just making it up. I think <laughs> Sheila Buff. <laughs> Sounds good to Sheila me. Bro- Brio- <laughs> Brio- Sheila Brioche. 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 <laughs> Brioche. Bouche Noel. Oh, no. Um, yes. Well, I have to go on a little Tom Hardy tangent because I think yeah. he's unbelievably brilliant. Tom Hardy so he much. He changes his look so much that you don't recognize him, which yeah. tells me he doesn't really have an ego like a lot of people. And no. he has been in more than one movie where he doesn't say a word. He was in yeah. uh, an, uh, the movie about the um, soldiers being rescued off the beach, and I'm totally forgetting the name now. An unbelievably good movie. War movies get really old, but this is, yeah. you I've, cannot I've stop watching. I'm watch. off war movies. <laughs> you, this is like, you can't stop watching this movie. Was it the, um, was it Dunkirk? Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Tom Hardy plays a pilot with his face covered the entire movie until the end. Yeah. He, he says like, I don't know, he has like three lines. Well, maybe even, four. Yeah. Even the That's Batman it. movie. Same thing. Well, he has a lot of lines, but he's comp- you don't but know he's who he is. Covered his he's face. completely covered his face. But he and does he changed, it with his eyes. He also his... changed his body completely. So again, hard to recognize. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now I just think it's a conspiracy. Your microphone's just messing with me. There we go. That's Get it. Okay. Sorry, folks. Adjusting microphones again. <laughs> Perhaps I'll edit it. I nah. was trying to be cool. Nah. Did not that's bring it a, up. Oh, that's my job. That's what I'm <laughs> supposed to do as the audio engineer, producer, chief bottle washer, janitor. Host. 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 Yeah. yeah. Anyway, wow. That that was a quite a discussion on the movies. Quite a trip. I love movies. I'll talk about too. movies all day. Yeah. I do too. Love movies. Watch a lot of them. And now I'm really impressed with a lot of uh, series that are as good as yes. movies. I just started watching the new season of, um, oh man, I'm totally blanking it, uh, um, Mr. Robot. Have you seen Mr. Robot? I have watched, I watched the first two episodes of Mr. Robot and mm-hmm. then I got sidetracked. It, but a, I do like it. I really yeah. love that actor. Rami. Rami Malik. Malik. Brilliant. I actor. saw what um, I did was yeah. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. That is a really good another really good movie. I liked it a lot. I, I know there it. was a lot of I discussion heard, about yeah, it. Yeah, I heard some stuff about it. But I, was like, I thought what it are you was, talking about? It's I did amazing. Not, you know, I did not see what people were saying. I thought that it was anyway, I thought it was a really good movie. And um so then I was like and then he was on Fresh Air, and I just really liked, I always love, I love actors that will come on to shows and really talk about the craft of acting and just really talk about their career. And mm-hmm. um, and so he just seemed really interesting, and um, and they talked about Mr. Robot a lot on, on that interview with Terry Gross. I think I heard that and interview. so I started watching it, uh-huh. and then, I don't know, I, I fell off of it somehow. I know how this happens. I mean, <laughs> I know how this happens. Yeah. <laughs> things, things get in the way. Um, Terry Gross is such a good interviewer. And um, yeah, he, he seems like someone who's very, very into his craft. And yeah, it he takes shows it really his seriously. Yeah. And he's nothing like his characters. I mean, when no, you just hear him talking, he's, he's, he's really like, not like his characters at all. Yeah. 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 He's, he's great. Um. He's also a voice on 
BoJack Horseman, which I like. Oh, too. right. I, now that I need to check out. I've heard. You never watched it? No, I oh haven't seen that. I've heard great that stuff is about it. Definitely top five favorite show ever. <laughs> wow. It, wow. That show, it'll mess you up. Mm hmm. Because you think, because it's animated and because it is a comedy, it's very funny. Mm -hmm. But there are moments that will just break your heart. It's so poignant and it's so vulnerable. And there are real serious, big life things that it deals with. And um, in some ways it reminds me of Mad Men because he's almost kind of a Don Draper, the mm. main uh -huh. Bojack is this sort of, you know, he's handsome and he gets women and he drinks all the time. And, you know, he's this kind of hot shot. He's a has-been actor, so he's not totally Don Draper, but he just like his psyche kind of reminds me of that character a lot. And, um, but it just, and at first you just think like, oh, haha, -ha, he's an asshole. And then it, slowly unravels and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper every episode and every season and there are a couple of episodes in particular in I think the third season or maybe I think they're in five seasons now so it could lat third and fourth season one is there's a whole episode that's centered around his mother having dementia and it the whole thing's from her perspective wow. and the reality is being morphed in and out mm -hmm. and the way they do it, I think, is such a genius way to represent dementia. Not that I've ever had dementia, so I don't know, but I have had, you know, grandparents with dementia. Mm -hmm. And it's, and just everything I've read about it just seems like it's just this thing where, like, you just, you're so frustrated because you don't know. It's got to be incredible. My mom had Alzheimer's, and mm -hmm. um, so I can I have I have a hard time watching things about it. It's that are, just that, that one good. episode, like, but it is there's so, there's a lot of things with Alzheimer's. Yeah. It's like oh whatever, that's not Alzheimer's, right? It's so but sometimes out. you see things yeah. that are like that that are like they're getting yeah. to the point of what it might be like, and it it's really hard it's for me a, to watch. It's a very brave show. I will say that's mm -hmm. only you know probably two episodes that it deals with it in mm -hmm. five seasons, but. Um, you know, and he has a very troubled relationship with his parents and it, it just, it just gets really deep and it speaks to me on a very deep level, but then is also somehow very hilarious. Uh -huh. Well, so, that, that's, it's a great that's show. good comedy though, right? It's I mean, that's so good. That's the, I, uh, yeah. that's the point of good comedy. Is I can't that, push that show hard yeah. enough. Not enough people watch it. <laughs> oh, I thought it was a really popular show. It is. It is. But I shoe. just feel like a lot of people don't want to talk about it endlessly with me the way that I want to talk about it because <laughs> it's just so good. I'm really into Watchmen right now. That's my Oh, new, my gosh. That's my so bizarre trip. because I was going to. Oh, no, not Watchmen. Watchmen I can't watch because we don't have HBO, mm. but we got a free trial. So mm -hmm. I made the mistake of watching a couple episodes and I'm like, I'm so bummed that you I have don't to have come any, over yeah. and watch it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's yeah. So good. Yeah. It have, is have so watch party good. or something. It's and was so, amazing. what was so great it's is amazing. That, yeah. My um, husband, who is like a, a very good person, a very caring person, but not somebody who really pays attention to like, the sort of social justice 
aspects of the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm always like, I'm always like talking about like, we have to be better allies and blah, 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 and feminism and smash the patriarchy. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> Go. Uh, wow. Um, That's not, surprising. Not in a, he, he agrees with me. He just doesn't have the same zeal that right. I do. Let's Bro, say okay. that. Um, yeah. And he, he, we were watching that the other night and he turns to me and he goes, you know what makes this show so good? I was like, what? And he goes, they gave the black characters just as much complexity and strength as the white characters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Way to go. Way to get that. You get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get on that social equity they're, train. <laughs> they're doing a good job. I mean, it's a. I have to say it's a little preachy, um, but they're doing a really good job of showing um this is what can happen in society. This is why I think you it's need so, to look out for what's going yeah. on because this is where it can go. This is where it can go. Chose white it, supremacists yeah. as the villains yeah. for that show. Yeah. Well, it's very. It's like the. Um, oh shoot! What's the one with the red? Everyone's in red. It's on. Um, oh, Hulu, uh, the, uh, the 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 handmaid the handmaid's tale. Mm-hmm. I can't watch that. I can't watch it. It's either. too real. And and when I started watching it all this stuff was actually happening. Like the first couple episodes was happening. Those things were really happening. And I went, okay, I can't, I really can't watch this. This is, it's too creepy. I think it's a really good show, but it was like, this is, I just can't go there every, t- every hour, you know, what's, for an hour a day. What's really interesting about that is that M- Margaret Atwood wrote that book a long time ago. Right. Decades ago. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, But yeah. she's still... Pretty amazing. Saw the world going she saw that come, way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's like my dad's politics. The stuff he screamed about is still still today. He he was he would be a huge Bernie well, supporter, it, I imagine, if he was in, alive. In other countries, um, you, know, you know, it never stopped. Yeah. It's still. I mean, there's true. there's still a lot of countries where women don't have any freedom, mm-hmm. and they're more or less treated as. Baby vessels. Oh, the, yes. A lot of hundreds of countries. Yeah. It, it's something we forget in America and even in, I think, the Western world, it tends to be kind of pushed aside, it kind is. of buried. And it's so arrogant it's of us to say story. like, oh, that can't happen. And it's like, it's happening. It's happening. Yeah. Like, go somewhere else. You're right. <laughs> like, it, it, go it to literally happening. any other part of the it world. It happen lots of places. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of our allies. Yeah. Um, treat their women that way. Totally. Um, yeah. But, you know, oil is good. Oil's good. <laughs> oil and sugar. That's all we need. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we've been going on a while. I think we've... I know, I, I know. Think I'm given, sorry. I think we've had two or three episodes given, at this point. <laughs> no, this is great thing about podcasts. It long can be as form. long as you They're want. They're long form. Once we, talk in a, once we start talking about TV and movies, no one will turn off. <laughs> go right, on I know, because that is totally that, what people want to hear is what I watch on TV. <laughs> Believe it or not. Wow, we have been going on a little while. Oh. So I'm going to wrap it up. I just um, enjoy talking to you so much, Well, that's Joel. wonderful. We'll have you back in, on episode uh, 34. 34. <laughs> Episode 34. Hope I see you here. All right. Um, it'll definitely, yeah. Uh, I think we should multiply it by six. There could be four, 24. I come back at 100 and 
I was trying to do the math there. <laughs> 60 percent. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just getting to if the show is still going. So be sure you share it with all your friends <laughs> so that I'm encouraged to keep on podcasting. Absolutely. So, I yeah, I really, uh, really appreciate you coming back in. This has been really fun. It's my pleasure. I am really enjoying podcasting. You have been listening to... Were you still talking? <laughs> I am, apparently. <laughs> this is Joel Albrecht, and I've had Callie Cardis in the studio with me. Thanks for listening in. If you are still listening this far, you must love it. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. And be good to each other. Share. Share. Hit the share button right now. Right now. Right now.